Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wag, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 130, and well, we've got something a little different this week. We've got a rag and bone buffet, a dog's breakfast, a hodgepodge, a melange, odds and ends, but don't worry, the odds are good. We'll also be talking about ice machines and what they're good for and what they're not good for. A tale from the road involving an unfortunate encounter and a product review of a game-changing pump. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome. This week, I've just decided to pick up a whole bunch of these little ideas I've had that haven't quite become their own episodes. They're just little bits of news and thoughts, and, well, I'm just going to toss them all in here, and hopefully a little bit here and there will help you out as you travel down the road. Or you sit still, which is kind of what I've been doing lately. First, you may remember all the hype about a company called Canoe. This was that company that made these really cute electric vehicles, one of which was kind of a camper van. They did a pickup truck and other things like that. And these were little vehicles, and mostly they were known for being cute. <laughs> and you'll notice I'm kind of talking in the past tense here. Well, like so many of these startup companies, we're not really sure if we're going to get this thing or not. There's kind of dual news coming out. The first news is that they've lost two of their founders and their CFO, which is not a good sign. And they've also issued a warning that they may not meet their expected goals. Also not a good thing. And yet they've actually produced some units and people have been test driving them. And so it's, there's kind of two camps here. This thing is imminent. It's going to happen by the end of the year or it's not going to happen. So if you've been looking forward to seeing canoes on the road and maybe only one for yourself, I don't know what to tell you except that it's a mixed picture. But I do know what to tell you about the future of big American vans. And that future is that 2025 will see the very last big American van roll off an assembly line. Now, to be clear about what we're talking about here, these are the classic big American vans, of which there used to be three. There was the Dodge van, the Ford O'Connell line, and the GMC Chevy van. They have 800 different names for these things, but the classic big van. Dodge gave up a long time ago. Econolines gave up, well, except that they can still sell cutaways, so you will still see new RVs with an Econoline front. But GMC just announced that that's it for their big van. In 2025, the Savannas and Expresses, the kind that Foresty Forest drives, the kind that Chrome from Van City Van Life drives, those vans will no longer be made at all, anywhere. And that means that the only vans that are going to be available anywhere are the Euro-style vans, such as the Promaster and the Sprinter and the Transit. What does this mean? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I know people like these bigger rear-wheel drive vans, and they've been around forever, and it's easy to get parts, and it's still going to be easy to get parts for a decade or two decades, so I'm not too worried about it. But if you are planning a future build and you want to start with a new vehicle, know that 2025 is your deadline if you want that vehicle to be a big American van. On a completely different note, I've been spending a lot of time in the Tiki Bago lately, and the Tiki Bago... For those who have not heard of this yet, which, is there anybody who hasn't heard of this thing yet? This is a 1972 Winnebago that someone has completely redone as a tiki hut on the inside, and it is permanently parked on a piece of property on the Illinois River in Illinois. 
Well, I've been spending a lot of time in there lately, and my wife and I have been trying to come up with, like, forms of recreation, and one thing we discovered that actually works really well, and I think would work well for many vans, is a dartboard. I have not heard of anyone having a dartboard in their van, but uh, one of those electronic dartboards with the soft tip darts, you can put that in a bunch of different places and it works just fine, and it doesn't seem like the darts will cause any damage. Now, obviously it's going to matter what kind of a van you have and what your interior or exterior is like, because the battery-operated ones, they work inside and outside, and they work just fine. And it's, it's a fun activity for people who like playing darts and games of skill like that. And it's one you can actually do inside your van. In the Tiki Bago, ours is over the driver's seat. Uh, this classic Winnebago design had a bed over the driver's seat. Ours fit right on there. And when I throw the dart at the board, it registers just like you would hope. And if I miss somehow, well, it's safely captured in that upper area. So it's not a risk at all. So that's just one more thing you can do in your van and add to your van life repertoire. Darts. Also in the Tiki Bago, uh, everything works in this thing. It's perfectly roadworthy, except that I don't ever want to drive it on the road ever again because yikes, except the fridge. It has a new fridge in it. It has a, a, a seven-year-old Norcold fridge that the previous owner put in there, and for some reason, this thing just doesn't work. I've done all kinds of research on it, and it appears that the circuit board is bad. And given that this thing is going to be permanently living here, we actually are going to replace it with a plain old electric household fridge. But we haven't got the electricity there yet, so we haven't replaced the fridge yet. So what we're doing is, well, we've turned the fridge into an icebox. So really... This is an option you have. It's just something good to know. If your fridge dies, well, it's still an ice box. You can still fill it with ice. Now, the weird situation we have is that on our property, we have power in a building that's 250 feet away from the Tiki Bago. 250 feet is kind of a long way to run extension cords. I'm not thrilled with doing that. So we basically have a freezer in that building, and then I just swap ice back and forth. I have been just using water bottles for this. I have frozen water bottles in the freezer, and then every day I swap them out. And it's worked great. Now, this doesn't work for freezing things. Like, I wouldn't want to do this with ice cream. But for keeping things cold, like even meat, we've been keeping meat in there with no problem. It's just a good thing to know that if you're in an emergency situation or you happen to have access to ice... Yeah, you can just use your refrigerator as a cooler. It works totally fine. And yeah, you got to worry about water dripping. They don't really drain like a cooler would, but you know, there are solutions for that. You will figure it out. Another thing we've found that is nice is that while I don't recommend people put carpet in their vans because it's hard to clean, I think a, a floor that you can sweep out makes a lot more sense. There's no reason why you can't put runners on that floor. In fact, I think it works out to be the best of all possible worlds. In the Tiki Bago, there is a very long hallway between the rear couch slash bedroom and the front. And the previous owner had put rugs down there, just a big long runner rug. And it collects a lot of the crap, and it's also a lot more comfortable to walk on at night in bare feet. And then, you know, once a week or whatever, we can just take that out and shake it out and then sweep out the whole thing. And it's also good for, like, little bits of dampness. Like, if you walk in the van with wet feet because you were walking around in wet grass or something, the rug is good for absorbing some of that. One 
pro tip on this is that if you go to Home Depot or a similar store, they actually sell runner carpet by the foot, and you can get exactly the right length for your van, and it's pretty inexpensive. We're not talking hundreds of dollars here. We're talking, you know, tens of dollars. Of course, you won't be able to pick out what color you want and all that because you're going to have limited choices. But, you know, if you're fashion conscious... You can just go online and find something that will work. Another thing we're really enjoying in the Tiki Bagel that we hadn't thought of was the awning. The way I have done van life in my vans is really not to spend that much time outside near the van because I was focused mostly on stealth camping. So with stealth camping, you kind of hide in the van an awful lot. You're not really hanging out outside the van. But now with the Tiki Bago, we're spending a lot of time hanging out outside, and we love the awning. But awnings are expensive, they're complicated, they blow away, they break. There's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't want to have an awning on a van, especially a stealth van. So here's a few tips. First, anything can be an awning. A blue $8 tarp can be an awning. All you need to do is find a way to attach it to the roof, and you can do that with magnets or string or whatever. You can figure that out. And then you need a couple of poles and strings to pull those poles down somehow, whether it be with water bottles or some other kind of weight or something you've tied off to. An awning can literally be as simple as attaching a blue tarp to your roof rack and then having a pole at each end and then tying off the top of each pole to the front bumper and the rear bumper and then attaching the bottom either to the ground or to the van somehow. I mean, obviously, you're going to have to figure it out, but awnings don't need to be expensive. They can be stored inside the vehicle when you're not using it, and you're going to have that same experience. Not having the sun and light rain beat down on you while you're sitting outside is great. Also, a little weird thing, the awning reflects light back down on you. So if you have a little bit of light on the outside of your van, the awning will actually make it seem brighter. Pro tip for awnings, if the side of your van is faced north or south, the shade under your awning is going to move a lot. We find that because the Tiki Bago is facing directly west and the side of it is facing north, we have to move all our chairs and everything as the day goes on, which is not a big deal. But depending on how much maneuverability you have, you may want to play against the sun and your awning will be in shade almost all of the day. Now, charging, USB charging. I see a lot of people doing these new builds and they're buying these fancy built-into-the-wall USB chargers, and those are fine. If you're going to do that, though, get one that runs off of 12 volts. Don't do the quick, easy way of getting one that runs off of 110 volts, because the ones that are built into your 110-volt outlets necessarily will require you to either be on shore power or use the inverter. And think about this. If you're using the inverter to charge your USB, you're taking 12 volts DC, ramping it up to 110 volts AC, and then lowering it back down to 5 volts DC. This is very inefficient. It creates a lot of heat and you're wasting power. So what I recommend you do instead is install 12-volt cigarette lighter sockets all around your vehicle, and then put a USB charger in there. This does a few things. First, it's going to be the most efficient way to do it. And second, it's future-proof. Even though these stupid cigarette lighter plug outlets are from 50, 60 years ago, well, actually longer than that, they're probably like 75 years old, they're still ubiquitous. You can still find things that plug into them. They're still standard in most automobiles. 
And it's USB that's changing rapidly, so you don't want to be permanently married to any USB style. As the technology changes, you can just pop out the adapter and pop in a new one. And I've had to do this just since I started van life a few years ago. I mean, this isn't something that's every 10 years. This is something like maybe every two years. So if you do that, you're going to future-proof your vehicle, and you're also going to save a bit of money because it's much cheaper to do that too. So you're in a new place, you're having trouble sleeping, there's noises outside. Well, if you're like me and you're hyper alert at night in new places for noises, a great thing is to have a fan. And not only for the air moving, but also for the white noise. But in a circumstance where you can't or don't want to use a fan, there are apps that create white noise from your phone that work really, really well. I use one on my iPhone called, shockingly, white noise that one has dozens and dozens of different sounds you can play and also there's one on alexa called sleep jar that has i can't even count how many sounds they have basically anything you can think of that would be pleasant to sleep to and many things that aren't they will have so check it out for your own phone but these can be you had for free you don't have to spend any money and boy it's really helped me out a lot when i've park near a place that has a lot of traffic or a lot of sudden noises just to have it playing the sound of a fan psychologically makes me feel cooler too real quick speedometers are only accurate to within five miles per hour so if you have a gps and that gps has a speedometer in it it's actually more accurate so if you notice that your speedometer says you're doing 65 but your gps says you're only doing 62 well, it's your GPS that is correct, and that's what you can trust. Just a good thing to know. I find that most vehicles, the speedometer on the dash reads too high. Now, if you have an old police car and it has what's called certified calibration, well, then it's going to be dead on. And in my Wander Lodge, my Bluebird Wander Lodge that I used to have, that speedometer was dead on. But most vehicles, it's going to vary by five miles an hour or more. And if you change out your wheels, you're going to totally screw that up. So just trust the GPS if you really need to know how fast you're going. And of course, if you use cruise control, you're going to have to adjust. And last but not least, this is a pet peeve of mine. Let's talk about rain etiquette. You're driving in the rain. What should you do? Well, you should turn on your windshield wipers. Uh, that's not a hard one. What do you do with your lights? In many states, this is the law. If your windshield wiper's on, your headlights have to be on too. And I've had people push back on me for this saying, why would I have my headlights on in the daytime? Well, it's kind of obvious to me that if it's raining, you're harder to see and your headlights help with that. I mean, heck, most vehicles have daytime running lights now anyway. But yeah, if you're driving in the rain, put on your headlights. You don't have to put on your fog lights or any of that unless it's foggy and really bad. But just your headlights is going to make a big difference. And do not put on your blinkers if it's raining. This seems to be extremely common in Florida, where of course it rains almost every day at some times of the year. People just driving down the highway with their blinkers on. Don't do that. It's wrong for two reasons. One is that... That signal that your lights are blinking means you're going 45 miles an hour or slower. I mean, that's literally what it means to be on the highway with your blinking lights on if you're not stopped. So if you're going 65 and your blinking lights are on, that's just wrong. It's confusing. The other thing is that in those driving conditions, the blinking lights are actually harder on your eyes than a solid light. It's harder to judge distances and it makes things less safe. So lights on, yes. Blinking lights on, no. 
And there's your dog's breakfast of a rag and bone buffet. I hope you can pick out what you want and leave what you don't. And uh, now on with the rest of the show. Tech Talk. So, since we were talking about ice, let's talk about ice machines. I've talked about them before, but it's not bad to revisit them because I'm using ice a lot now. It's on my mind. Ice machines can be had for pretty cheap. They do make 12-volt ones, but... In reality, you probably only want to use this when you're on shore power or have a whole lot of battery power. They use a lot of energy. And they are simple little things. You fill them with water. You usually don't have a direct connection for water. You can put in spring water, bottled water, whatever kind of water you have. And in as little as 20 minutes, they make ice cubes. And you can then use that ice in a cooler or your drinks or whatever. But there's a couple things to know about these things. First, they're very simple. They don't have a lot of sophisticated things like temperature settings or, you know, turn off when bucket is full or anything like that. Most of them will just keep making ice until the water runs out. Second, once the ice is made, they're done. They don't do anything to keep that ice cold. It's not like an ice maker at a hotel that is also a freezer. The thing makes the ice and then keeps it cold in that box in the bottom. Most ice makers make the ice and just let it sit in this bucket where it will melt unless you use it immediately. So an ice maker can be a good solution for van life depending on how much water you have and how much power you have, but know that it's the kind of thing that you have to kind of watch. You have to pay attention to it. And yeah, you could rig something up where it drops the ice into a cooler, but the ice is going to start melting like as soon as it's done being made. So know that. I don't have a brand I like. I don't actually have an ice maker in any of my vehicles right now, but I have in the past. And uh, the other thing that you should know about these is that they, they're very quick to develop musty smells. They need to be cleaned regularly and they take up a lot of space in the van. So yeah, depending on your circumstances, they could be a good solution, but you really got to look at what you're getting into before you buy one of these things. Tales from the road. This tale is true. <laughs> All the tales I tell are true. Uh, this one is true, even though it might be a little hard to believe in places. And uh, it serves as a good lesson for you just never know what's going to happen and a good way to make money for van life, actually. So this is back in about 1990. I don't remember the exact date, but I was a college student at the University of Utah. I don't actually remember what I was studying. It might have been computer engineering, but uh, whatever it is, I never got that degree. doesn't matter. I needed to make money and go to school at the same time. And I found out about this drug study for this brand new drug that no one had ever seen before called Lansoprazole. If you are somebody who has ever taken Prilosec, you can thank me for being a guinea pig for that drug because that's what this study was for. And the study was not difficult. They would basically pay us $1,000 to go on an overnight camp out. <laughs> I mean, we, weren't in a, we were in a dormitory at the hospital and we were required to stay there for two weekends and come in for a couple of other things. Now, this was fairly invasive. They were looking at a bunch of different things. This is called a phase three trial, which means the drug has been shown like not to kill people dead immediately, and it's usually safe at this point, but they want to be sure. They want to check little things. And well, some of the things they wanted to check were a little strange, like um, stomach acid pH, which was a different study I wasn't in, but I was in the one that involved 
testicular diameter, which required a measuring of testicular diameter on a regular basis. And, well, the folks who were using the calipers didn't necessarily know how to do that, and it was a little awkward. Uh, it also required um, a testing of ejaculate volume. Uh, yeah, so that was part of it. And uh, well, that's probably a whole separate story, but I don't think I can tell that on this channel. So we'll, we'll save that one for a campfire sometime. But we will get to the main story. I mean, actually, before we get to the main story, if you are someone trying to make money in van life, take a look at drug studies, because depending on the circumstances, you can make a good amount of money in a short amount of time, and they are all over the country. That might fit your lifestyle pretty darn well, and you're helping humanity, so it's kind of a win-win. But you may meet interesting people doing this. So this drug study, we were in these dorms at the University of Utah next to the hospital. This wasn't really in the college side. But most of the people in the drug study were medical students and pre-med and people like that. Young people, about my age at the time, you know, in 20s. But not all. There were some older guys there. And it was all men. No women were allowed in this particular study, which is unfortunately common. Men are typically used for studies more than women because of the risk of pregnancy. That's a whole political issue. And the dorm was fairly nice. It was a bunch of bunk beds in this big room. And then we had a day room that had a pool table and a TV with a whole bunch of VHS tapes because it was that long ago. And it wasn't horrible. Couple of things. We all were required to eat exactly the same food at exactly the same time and finish all of it. They gave you a tray of food. And if you didn't like it, tough. You had to eat it. So I was eating all kinds of things I didn't like, like tomatoes and cottage cheese. And well, that's just how it goes. And had to have an incredible number of blood draws. I had 90 blood draws during the course of this study. My arms were raw. Every vein they could possibly use was used up. And in some people, they had to go into their legs to get veins, which is a little bit risky. At the end of this, I started actually craving the needle. That's creepy. Just saying. Here's the story. I met this guy who dressed a little bit differently than the rest of us. I mean, we were all wearing johnnies, but we were allowed to wear kind of like sweatpants under the johnnies. I don't know actually what the johnnies were for. It was some kind of a uniform thing to say, you know, we're the inmates or whatever. Fine. But this guy had really long beard and long salt and pepper hair and, you know, that classic Jesus look, except that, well, this guy kind of thought he was Jesus. Now, I was in this drug study in Utah, being a non-believer of any religion, surrounded by a lot of Mormons and a couple of just nondescript Christians, and this guy. Now, this guy found out that I wasn't a believer. I don't exactly remember the details of how, but he instantly became hostile towards me, talking about how I was taking away his rights to pray and all this stuff, and I was just like, you're crazy. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Blah, blah, blah. Long discussions. But at no point did I feel like this guy was a threat. He just, just seemed too out of it to be really somebody I would take seriously. And a whole lot of the other guys in the dorm took him to task because he thought he was the second coming of the Mormon version of Jesus. And being returned missionaries, they actually could talk to that. And well, it, it got fairly ugly. I actually played pool with this guy, you know? So, I mean, it wasn't, it was just this one little thing like, oh, you meet a weird guy. And, and I thought that would be the end of it. I remember his name was Brian and you know, the end, right? No, that wasn't the end because I saw him again 
but not in person. It was on the television because it turns out that he and his common-law wife kidnapped a woman by the name of Elizabeth Smart, you may have heard that name, and held her prisoner for months in some weird pseudo-familial sexual relationship and it received huge press worldwide because, of course, it was an attractive blonde woman who got abducted. You know, that's the only ones we hear about for some reason. And, uh, yeah, Brian, Brian Mitchell was the guy in the drug study. And, uh, I mean, if someone had asked me which person in your drug study was going to be on TV for having kidnapped somebody, yeah, he's the guy I would have pointed to. No question. But what can you do with that? I mean, here's this guy who's a little bit odd, who's saying some pretty grandiose things about himself, and uh, so what? I mean, it's not like you can call the cops and say, hey, this guy thinks he's Jesus. You don't know what people are going to do. Most people who present the way he did don't do anything. In fact, they're much more likely to harm themselves than others. So I don't feel like any guilt for not being able to raise flags because there was no way to. It is kind of humbling to know that during the course of all of our lives, we've probably met people who have done horrible things. In in fact, just bizarrely, a friend of mine in Chicago remembers that the most recent shooter of, you know, which is a new one every day these days, actually served Panera to her uh, like a year ago. It's just, it's a strange world. So anyway, a little bit of a crazy story. I am looking forward to never meeting this man again. Uh, But, uh, you know, Basically, if someone tells you they're Jesus, you probably should be a little wary. I think that's a good life tip. Product review. (laughs) Following that up with this. Hey, so I, I bought actually a game changer kind of a product that I'm really happy about. And uh, I, I, I'll give you the brand name and everything, but it's really not about the brand name. It's about this concept. It's an air pump. Okay. Now I've always got an air pump in the vehicle because I believe that most tire problems can actually be solved by plugging the tire and reinflating the tire. You don't have to swap a spare on all the time. If you drive over a nail or a screw or whatever, it's really easy to plug the tire and inflate it again. But you know, those things are slow and loud and complicated. You plug them into the 12 volt thing and they go, and then, you know, 20 minutes later, your tire's pumped up. And for those of us with big vans, often they just can't pump up the tire enough. Although you don't have to pump it up all the way to get out of an emergency situation. Anyway, I often have little things to inflate like air mattresses and floaties and things like that. And it was just a pain to use this thing. So I bought a portable one uh, that uses batteries. Uh, it's a, it's called a Works WX092L 20 volt power share portable air pump inflator. And I love this thing. It's, it's this compact little unit. It kind of looks like a staple gun, believe it or not. And it has a hose that comes out of it. First off, you hook it up and it tells you the pressure of the tire you're working on. And then you set the pressure you want, press play. <laughs> it's actually got a play button on it and walk away. And then it stops when it inflates the tire to the right pressure. And it will go up to 150 PSI. So it actually will inflate these larger tires. But it will take a long time. If you're doing a normal car tire, I I use it a lot on my tractor tires. Um, It just takes a minute or two. It's nothing. But with a bigger tire, obviously, it's going to take more time. And it's also going to get hot. Now, why did I choose this one? Well, it's because a while back, I bought a 
circular saw that was a works w-o-r-x so i had that battery already and i try to buy things that all use the same batteries that way if i need to let's say i have to inflate a lot of things well then i've got a bunch of batteries that i can use the chainsaw i own actually uses these same batteries i should did i review that i don't know if i did but i should because that thing's pretty awesome Anyway, it's a great concept. You should check it out. I'll have a link in the show notes for this one. They're not that cheap. I'm looking at Amazon today. This one's on sale for $79.99. You know, that's that's probably twice as much as you would get a normal 12-volt one for. But it's so convenient that it's worth it. I, I, I really do think so. And no, you cannot use this as like an air blaster to blast out like the dust in your cabin. It, it just doesn't work like that. It does come with different accessories and stuff. I mean, you could, you could blow out your keyboard of your computer with it, but I don't think you're going to be able to use it like a leaf blower. It's not quite that powerful. Anyway, that is the Works WX092L 20-volt power share portable air pump inflator. A place to visit. So folks, I'm going to tell you to take your van, well, actually drive your van, you can take it if you want, but it's easier to drive, and go to an island with it. But don't worry, this island is connected by bridges. And it's not in the Caribbean, although it is surrounded by water. It is in Vermont. And that island is called Isle La Motte, and it is not far from Burlington. In fact, you will probably go through Burlington to get there. And on Isle La Motte, there are a few interesting things to see, but this one I think is really cool, especially if you like geology or biology or history, because it combines all three. And it is called Chazzy Reef. That's C-H-A-Z-Y, Chazzy Reef. Now, a reef, the word can mean many things. Like, obviously, obviously you have Capitol Reef in Utah, which has nothing to do with the Great Barrier Reef. In both of these cases, reef their commonality is that the reef is a barrier between whatever, where you want to go. So in Utah, the wagon trains couldn't go through the reef and the Great Barrier Reef blocks ships. You get the idea. So don't think of this as like a coral reef because it's older than coral. That's right. You heard me. This reef is so old that it was created by an organism that predates coral. It's an amazing spot just from a mind-blowing perspective because what you're standing on was built by these organisms called stromatolites, which are a precursor to coral. I mean, they were around before coral existed. So, so how long are we talking about here? 460 million years ago. So you're, you go out there. And it's this big, gray, wide-open rock. And if you look at it, it's full of fossils. I mean, plain fossils that you can see right there. You don't have to do much work at it. And usually someone has gone out with chalk and circled them for you, which is very nice. And, uh, yeah, 460 million-year-old life. I mean, it's, that's so long ago, it's really hard to put into perspective. But it predates basically everything you have ever heard of. Dinosaurs, coral, flowering plants. I mean, yeah, this is probably the oldest evidence of an organism that you're likely to see in your lifetime. It's also very pretty. And there's a quarry there because, you know, being humans, instead of saying, oh, look at the pretty fossils, we said, oh, look how much money I could make by cutting up that rock. And so that's what they did. And you will actually find pieces of Chazzy Reef all around Vermont. In fact, if you ever go to Richmond, Vermont, which has the round church, the footstone there is a piece of Chazzy Reef complete with fossils. And I actually incorporated that into the tours I used to do of that building. 
this is a wonderful, beautiful place to see. Not enough tourists get out there because it is quite a detour from the normal route. But if you're ever in Vermont and you want a bit of nature and a bit of wonder and just some nice vistas, especially on a really hot day because it's always much cooler out there, head to Chazzy Reef and just like walk on 460 million year old fossils because there aren't very many places in the world where you can do that. Resource recommendation. So this is not a website or anything. This is just something to realize that most of you with your vans have a resource that you might not be using. And that resource is the hitch or rather the receiver for the hitch. They make a ton of stuff that goes in that thing, not just hitches for trailers. They make vices that fit in there. They sell different kinds of hitches, like some that are hooks, which are great for recovery, or what I prefer, the pintle hitch, which is a big C that can close and you can clamp it around things. They sell cranes that go on there. That's right, you can hook a crane in there and then crank it up and then lift up things like, say, a heavy generator, and then it will swivel around and put it in your van. Yes, you can get a toilet seat. I don't know why you would actually want to put a toilet seat there. One of them's called the Bumper Dumper. Uh, yeah, you can get that for it uh, if you want that. You can also get a thing called a Ripper, <laughs> which, honestly, I'm going to buy one of these, but for a slightly different use. It's a big claw that'll dig a groove in the earth, and it's meant more for tractors that have a receiver hitch on their three-point hitch, but you could potentially use it on your van. I don't know how, but hey, that's a thing. And you can also use more pedestrian things, like there are hammocks that fit on there. It's a great place to tie your dog off because it's super secure, and there are little hooks there, and you could put whatever you need it in there to make that easy and it's a secure location as long as you don't hook it up to a hitch that comes out with just a pin if you have something locking in there if you need to lock your bikes or your generator or something like that your hitch is a great place for that and they actually sell a thing called a hitch safe, which is a little combination lock that fits in there, and you can store keys or whatever in there. Although, in my opinion, those would be fairly easy to break into, and they also advertise the fact that there's something in there that people want, so I'm not sure that's a great idea. Anyway, just remember that you've got this receiver hitch on the back of your van, most of you. You can add one if you don't, and there's many things that can be used for, and you should take advantage of all of them. And that's the end of this breathless episode, number 130. Thank you very much for listening. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can find me at jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. And until next time, remember the words of Daniel Gilbert. The secret of happiness is variety. But the secret of variety, like the secret of all spices is knowing when to use it.